0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to, as we finish our series, I want to ask you a question. Over the past 12 months, if you were to say, if I was to hand you the microphone or we were to film you, what would you say that the last 12 months has taught you? Because we've all learned something, haven't we? And maybe maybe what we've learned is something we already knew, we were just retaught it or we were reminded of something. And that's what happens often when things can get out of our control or we lose something. We are reminded of something that we have forgotten or we are taught something we never knew. For me personally, I learned something in a new way that i never really considered before. And for me, the big lesson of the last 12 months has been to learn to hold. Funnily enough, Greg, you literally took my whole sermon in your spill before. Learn to hold uh, my plans lightly, but to hold on to hope tightly. And it's a big difference between the two of them, right? And so, so we all had plans last year that were thrown out the window or that had to be adjusted or changed. So we've probably all learned this. You can't, the, the same way we thought we'd had control over everything, we have to hold them lightly, but hold our hope tightly. And particularly in how the world is right now, it can seem out of control, or at least not in the control it once was. But if we're honest, and you already know this, the truth is the world's always been out of control. It's just that we've become really aware of it now. And that often happens in our lives that something can happen that just makes us hyper aware of perhaps the truth we knew was there, but we just weren't always conscious of it. I'll give you an example: driving a car. Okay, we know intuitively it's pretty dangerous, it's not super safe. But we go about it, we we know there's kind of guardrails, there's rules, there's laws we obey, there's things we do to limit the danger. We just go about it. You're not often thinking about the danger, but every now and again, something might happen that makes you hyper-aware and super-vigilant about the safety and the danger that is around driving a car. You might have had a near miss, or someone you know had a car accident, or your, your kid comes home saying, You know, someone re-rendered me. And so, for a little while, you can be driving around nervous. I, don't, I remember I've had a car accident when I was on my P's. And I remember for about another month, I like had pins and needles in my legs, the adrenaline was always in my arms. And so, driving's always been dangerous. It's just something happened that made me hyper-aware. And I think in life, it, it can become the same way. You know that your relationships are important, you know that life is precious. You don't need someone to tell you that, but often an event can happen in life that reminds us. Maybe a loved one has gotten sick or a loved one passed away or a child got married or a significant life event happened and it caused you to go, oh man, these things are so important. Relationships are so important. My marriage or my children or my friendships or my community, it's so important. And so sometimes something can take place that makes us become hyper aware of how much we value something or how much we love something. And so we can become grateful. Or if not grateful, we can flip it around. We can either become fearful or resentful or even hateful. And this is the common terminology or idea even within psychology. And renowned psychologist Jordan Peterson, he writes about this in an amazing, in his book, uh, 12 Rules for Life. It's a great book, 100% read it, whether you like him or not. He says this, the heightened knowledge of fragility and mortality produced by death can terrify, embitter, and, and separate. It can also awaken. Now you get this, right? Think that, that whole idea will become hyper aware of something, or the, high, the heightened knowledge that sometimes, that's right, life is fragile. Relationships are super important. I'm not going to live forever in this tent of a body, right? So when that happens, he says you can either be ter- live terrified, you can live embittered, or you can separate from relationships. Or it can have a different narrative. It can awaken. You can become awake to the opportunities you have, awake to the life that you and I are living. Now, in Scripture, Scripture refers, in many cases, this idea of being awakened or being aware or being hypervigilant or something, refers to it as wisdom. And there is one of the oldest prayers that we have in our Bibles in the Old Testament. The reason we know it's one of our oldest prayers is because it was written by the guy who wrote the first five books of our Old Testament, Moses. But this one snuck into a later book known as the Book of Psalms, just a collection of poems and songs. And he writes this in Psalm 90, verse 12. It's a, it's a prayer, so like a prayer. And Moses says, or prays, Lord, teach us to number our days, teach us to number our days that we may gain heart of wisdom. Now, if you think about this term, to have your days numbered, it really means Lord, would you teach me to value my days richly? Will you teach me to be fully present? Would you teach me to know how important this moment is in my life? I remember last year we did a series called Make It Count, and we looked at this idea of how often life can be passing us by, and we sometimes miss the moment. When I first became a dad, I'll never forget the time I had my, um, I had my, like, my first daughter. She's only a couple of months old. And or maybe she's about six months old because she was sitting up and I was on my phone and I turned to me and she's just there looking at me and I'm there just scrolling on my phone. And I'll never forget that moment. I heard about how quickly it can sneak up. I threw my phone across the room. That was a bit, that was a bit emotional, but and I was like, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna be present. I'm gonna be in the moment. I'm gonna be with my kids. And I think this is what, can we throw that prayer up again? This is what Moses was praying. Would you teach us to number our days Would you teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom? In other words, would you teach us to be totally engaged, to realize how precious life is, sometimes how short our life can be, but also how much out of our control life is, and, and help us to realize that so then we can live life with a sense of wisdom, Because what you and I don't want to do, and again, you know this, you don't want to live your life overcautiously. You don't want to live your life filled with anxiety or fear. You don't want to live reservedly or timidly. You want to live with wisdom. You want to be able to approach your life and the time you've been given and the responsibilities you have and the relationships that God has brought into your life, and you want to deal with them wisely. But the the danger with this is, or the trap on the other side is this, the antithesis, as I would call it, to wisdom is to live controllingly or to try and control everything in our lives. So I want to talk about that for a moment, about being controlling. And in this series, we've, we've been, can we throw to the next slide? We've been looking through the idea of how often things can be out of our control and how we have this like, uh, intern, again, Greg, you touched on this before brilliantly. I was like, why didn't you just finish, do another five minutes and the sermon will be done? But there is like this emotional, isn't this true? There's almost like this emotional need that you and I have to control things. And it doesn't always come from something that is sinister or something evil inside of us. In fact, often the need to want to control is a really wise thing. And we touched on this early in the series. It's a wise thing to have control of your finance, for instance, because if you ever notice, if you don't have a good budget in your finances, we'll often say things like, oh, no, my spending has gotten out of control, right? And I mean, same with discipline around children. If you've ever seen your kid run around and there's no discipline, you're like, oh, no, my kids are out of Control, okay, so you know know that. So this idea of control doesn't always come from a bad thing, but misused, misused, control can actually be super dangerous. And if you've ever been in a relationship or you've ever worked for a boss that is super controlling, you know how toxic this idea of control can be. But nonetheless, the temptation's always there. So our reach, however, for control often comes out of our our deep, deep desire to avoid control. Chaos, to avoid chaos. And I don't know if you guys remember the, if we can throw in the next slide, I don't know if you remember the um, show back in the day, Get Smart. Okay, if you're like a millennial, you might not know it, um, but there, actually there was a movie done a few years ago about it, and you remember there was a two opposite sides, right? Had Maxwell Smart and he worked for Control, and then you always had some evil guy or girl with the scar on their face who, you know, worked for Chaos. But isn't this interesting? We can often view that these two are the opposite ends of the spectrum. And when end, you've got chaos and evil and things are out of control. So on the other end, clearly the opposite of chaos is control. But I don't think that's true. And I think you, you'd agree with me. Think of it this way: often, often it's our controlling mechanisms, the way we control people, that can lead to some of the worst chaos in our lives. Now I don't blame myself for this, and I certainly don't blame you for this. The reason The reason I think we often opt for control is because you and I don't want chaos in our lives. We don't want chaos in our marriage. We don't want chaos in our finances for our kids. We don't want chaos in our plans. But I'm telling you, being overly controlling is not the way to avoid it. In fact, being controlling is often what has caused or created the chaos in our life. And here's the thing. There is enough chaos in the world for you and I to contribute to it. And if you're a Jesus follower here, if you're someone who's put your hope in God, specifically today, I want to talk into how you're approaching your life and how you and I don't have to add to the chaos that is in the world. And if you're someone who's new to church or perhaps it's your first time in a long time, maybe you've never engaged with faith or, or, or even you're not sure whether you believe in God, maybe, maybe you're, you're like that watching along online right now, I want you to lean in today to what we're going to learn here and what we're going to talk about. Because what we're quickly going to find is that the God in whom we put our trust in is also not a controlling God. In fact, it's quite the opposite of it. And the early uh, followers of Jesus in the, in, our, in the first century, those who witnessed not only the life of Jesus, but His death and the, ultimately His resurrection, they went about helping to kind of put our belief in God in some kind of frame that we, we, in a way that we could live this out. And this is what we find in our New Testament And so in the New Testament, we often find teachings of how to navigate the chaos that is in our lives and how to navigate the chaos in the world. And there's often this term used all throughout the New Testament where it referred to evil days or how the times can be evil or how the days might be evil. And that's another way of just saying that life is out of control. And as much as, again, as I said at the beginning, we're super aware right now of how out of control things are. The truth is the world has always, in one way or another, been heavily out of control, at least out of our control. And so what I want to look at is just one passage here. This is one of the earliest followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, he wrote many letters to groups of people who lived in all different areas around the Mediterranean Rim. And there's one particular letter he wrote to a group of Jesus followers in the city of Ephesus. And here's what he writes about the days being evil and how to respond to it. He says this, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. He's echoing the prayer of Moses. Remember, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So be very careful how you live. Live wisely, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, he could have written this today and would still be packing just as much as a punch as it did 2,000 years ago. When he wrote this, they were under the yoke of obviously Roman oppression all over the, well, all over the Roman world. Um, poverty was only ever three days away. Um, at any given moment, a plague could hit without any kind of uh, injection to help you with that or any kind of government lockdowns to help you with that. <laughs> Whatever my... <laughs> I just sort of give it a pause to see the irony in it. Um... He would say still to us these days, we've just become super aware of, yeah, the days are evil. There is, at any given moment, things are out of our control. At any given moment, I mean, you don't need me to expand on this idea. Right now, even with the great advancements in technology and communication, there's more poverty on the world than ever before. There's more economic injustice in the world more than ever before. I don't need, you guys already get that. It's not a stretch of the imagination to still say that the days are evil. Slavery is more prevalent in the world today than ever before. And so here, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul saying, in a world that can seem evil, here's what you to do. Don't live unwisely. Don't live irrationally. Don't live always with a heightened emotion. Live wisely. And he makes this term, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. So think about your opportunities. Think about the relationships in your life. Think about what you get to do with your life think about where you live think about the resources you have at your expenditure think about the talent and gifts you have for the world given the life we live in and how the days can be evil the apostle Paul would say to you and I would say hey are you making the most of every opportunity you have or are you worried about how much chaos there is or are you trying to control everything because there is a medium he said i want you to make the most i want you to totally give yourself To what your heavenly father has given you. Don't control it, but give yourself to it. In other words, he's saying this: I want you to be committed to, not controlling of. And in your life, if you think about the responsibilities you have, the relationships in your life, our responsibility, particularly in a world that can seem evil or out of control or like there's chaos everywhere. Our temptation can often be to control things in our life, to control our relationships, to control our kids, I and mean, we want control. And again, we get that, right? We want to avoid chaos. But what Paul's telling us here is don't strive for control in your life, strive for commitment. Don't look to control your spouse, look to be committed to your spouse. No one got in front of their spouse on their wedding day and said, I promise to forever be controlling of you. <laughs> At least I hope you didn't say that. Right? You don't have kids. Oh, my darling, let's just have let's have so many kids so we can control them. No one, no one wants that. But don't we do that? And I, and again, this isn't a critique. Like this is this is I think a natural urge that can come from us because we, we see the world's dangerous. There's chaos. There's danger in the world, so we want to control. But Scripture would say, hey, hey, don't don't look how you can be controlling of things in your life. Look at how you can rather be committed to those things in your life. And I think the reason why the Apostle Paul tells us to do this. Because he knew that this is exactly how a heavenly father is towards us. Do you know that God is not controlling? If you're someone who's maybe exploring faith or checking out church for the first time, or perhaps you got put off faith or put off church because you had this idea that God was this controlling maniac and he wants to control your life, he doesn't. In fact, what we threw through, through the life of Jesus, it's quite the opposite. God laid down his life. For you and I, he laid down his life for the sins and the evil of the world. God never sought to control you and I, but God showed his unrelenting commitment to you and I. And based of Jesus' example, the Apostle Paul writes, because the days are evil, let's look to Christ. What did he do? He wasn't controlling of us, but rather he was committed to us. We can't control everything in our lives through chaos, but we can certainly commit to it. Now, these group of people in the church of Ephesus that the Apostle Paul was writing to at the time, he was super committed to them. In fact, arguably, these were some of his favorite people. Not only did he plant this church, he regularly visited this church. And then the time came where he knew his days were numbered. And where I want to pick up this story here is he has a farewell send-off or a farewell gathering to the church at Ephesus that he just wrote this passage to, where he says goodbye to them. He knows he'll never see them again. And what I want to read today is his kind of some of his farewell speech where he kind of pours out his heart in the, the, the world they're living in with how things were out of control, the days were evil. He poured so much of his life into these people who he was committed to for years. And then this is kind of how he says goodbye to them. Here's where we pick up the story. In the book of Acts, it's in the New Testament. He says this to them. He had kind of the elders of the church at Ephesus gathered around on a beachfront. And here's how he says goodbye. He says, now... Compelled by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit, meaning the Spirit of God, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing, this is super interesting, not knowing what will happen to me there. Before we need to read the next verse, I want to think of this for a moment. He's there saying goodbye to these people he loved, these people he poured his life into, these people God had given him to invest into, to love, to lead, to shepherd, to teach. And now he's saying, God's calling me on now. And I'm going, the mission that God has given me to do in my life, I need to go to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, I am a wanted man. In Jerusalem, they're waiting for me. I know I'm going to get thrown in prison. There's like, they've got those wanted dead or alive signs out there from the old Westerns. He goes, I know, but I know God's leading me there. This is my mission. This is where he's called me to. Like, and he uses this word, I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem and committed to them. But notice this, he still understood. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. Isn't that our life, right? We can be compelled to be committed to something like, I'm committed to this relationship, I'm committed to this task, I'm committed to this mission. But at the end of the day, and as I said at the start, we've got to be open-handed because we don't know what's going to happen when we get there. And can I say, this is well beyond what the past 12 months is all about and what, who knows how long it's is going to go for. Again, life's always been like this. We're just super aware of it right now. And we can often put so much of our hope in our plans rather than our hope in our God. And Paul's saying, listen, my hope's in God and God's leading me to do this great mission. I'm compelled to do it, but I don't know what's going to happen. I can't make prediction. Or I can't make prophecies. I can't predict he's going to be the next president or the next prime minister. Like, I'm not going to go and put it on Instagram and tell everyone. Like, I don't know. I'm not God. I just know that God's called me to be committed to this mission in Jerusalem. And he said, I'm compelled. And here's what God's Spirit always does. God's Spirit will always compel you and I to be committed to people in our life. He'll never compel us to be controlling of the people in our life. Can we swing to that next slide? I want to make sure I got that right. Oh, no, you missed it. Go back, go back. One before it. One before it. Ah, it's not there. It's on the back screen. I'm going to read it. God's Spirit. There it is. (laughs) God's Spirit will always compel you to commit to people, never to control them. Never to control them. Are you controlling? What do you do when you freak out about what's next or when you don't know what's next? Do you turn to panic and controlling? That's not how God operates in our lives. And the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you receive His promised gift of His Spirit. And His Spirit will always be there pushing you and I to say, listen, don't control these people in your life. But be committed to them. Give your life to them. Throw your heart and soul into them. God doesn't call us to control anyone. He just calls us to commit to them. And again, that's because what God is like to us. Now, on this, the difference between commitment and control, there's actually a, there's quite a difference in tone between how these two work together. And I can't put my finger on it, and I'm certainly no expert in this by any means, but There is a way that we can start to differentiate in our own lives. Am I being controlling or overly controlling with the things in my life or the people in my life, or am I being committed to them? And here's some of the things I guess I've learned along the way. Control will say this, and see if you can pick up your own terms or your own voice or your own thoughts here. Control will say, I want you to do the things that I prefer, where commitment says, I want for you what God has for you. Control says, I want you to do it my way. Commitment says, I want to help you to do it God's way. Control says, do what I say. Commitment says, I'll help you to hear what God says. Control says, you can't. Commitment says, I'll help. Control says, when I say. Commitment says, when the time is right. Control deals in absolutes, like a Sith. Commitment deals in grace. Star Wars shout out there for anyone. Control deals in absolutes. Commitment deals in grace. This is super important, this one. Control puts on shackles. Commitment puts in guardrails. Control gets in the way. Commitment shows the way. Control abuses its strength where commitment lends its strength. Finally, control is scared of chaos, but commitment confronts it. And control will always look for a way to avoid chaos, to avoid the evil days. Again, it can often come from a good heart, but control will always try and avoid it. Commitment is the opposite. Commitment's like the days are evil, we can't control things, things are out of our control but we're committed to this. We are committed to this mission. We're committed to winning. We're committed to this relationship. We're committed to our kids. We're committed to our promises. We're committed to our loyalties. We're not gonna be fearful that days are evil. Our commitment is what will help us to confront chaos. And you know what commitment helps you to do? Commitment helps you to never walk out on your responsibilities. So I wanna say to you, don't walk out on your responsibilities, but like Moses prayed, and like Paul gave a word to the wise, Ask God to help you carry out your responsibilities. And there's a huge difference between walking out and carrying out. And chaos would love for us to throw in the towel on things that are super important in our life. Super important relationships, commitments, ministry areas, um, great great tasks that only that you are uniquely placed to fulfill, whatever it might be. Don't, before you walk out on any responsibility, pause for a moment. And like Moses pray, God, would you teach me to number my days? Would you help me to see how important this is? And now I'm asking that you would give me a heart of wisdom. Ask God to help you carry out your responsibilities. So Paul goes on here as he says, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me. It's out of my control, but I'm going. And here's how the rest of his farewell speech goes. He says, I only know, I only know how confident is this. That in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships is facing me. Hey, what a great leader! But don't you know that? Like the one thing you know, the one thing you are sure of is that it's never going to be all smooth sailing ahead of you. You you know that, right? You don't need me to get up here and tell you that. That's why we make a promise on our wedding days, a a covenant, right? This is what I promise you: it's going to be all good for the rest of our life. No one makes that promise. We promise what? In sickness and in health. In good times and in bad. For richer. And maybe, I hope you don't marry me for my looks because, well, I hope you, wait, I hope you don't marry me for my money because I don't know. I can't control that. And this is what he's saying here. All I know is that hardships and prisons face me. And the next verse he says, However, this is super challenging. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. Now that is super challenging, tough words, right? And I'm not even gonna to pretend to be at the super saiyan level that Paul is here, but saying that my life is important to me. There's another reference for Cardone people, but you don't care. Sunday night church will love it, you know. <laughs> um Notice what he's saying here, my only aim, my only aim, the reason I'm here, my commitment, my commitment isn't to my pleasure or to my gain or to me being celebrated. My commitment is to the mission. Okay? So in other words, he's saying this, I can't control all the outcomes. I can't control all the outcomes. He's also saying, I can't avoid all the chaos and neither can we. But he says, I can commit to my mission. And it's the same with you and I. We can't control all the outcomes in our life. And there's no way you and I can ever avoid all the chaos. But man, if we can learn anything, if we have learned anything from the past 12 months, if Greg taught us anything just before, if Paul's teaching us anything this morning, what you and I can do is commit to the mission. And in a world that can often seem out of control and in chaos, never, ever, ever let it determine your level of commitment to it. You know, um, in my context, being a pastor at a church here, um, you know, we had to change up heaps last year as well, and things are still different. And again, shout out to everyone watching online. You guys are awesome. Um, things have changed and things are different. But what is not different is our mission. And we often talk, and again, I mentioned it earlier, we often talk to our staff here. We, we date our model of ministry. That makes sense? We date the model. We're married to the mission. So, Things, I want things to change. great. The world's always going to be changing. But what doesn't change is our commitment to what Jesus inaugurated with his resurrection to keep carrying on this message of hope and salvation to the ends of the earth. And so we can't control the outcomes. We can't, certainly can't avoid chaos. In fact, church creates chaos. That's why we do it. <laughs> but I can commit to the mission. Um, this is, I want to put up a picture of my dream holiday spot, Okay. I noticed Chloe left the building just then. So. <laughs> uh, anyone know what mountain this is? Everest. Good job. Okay. Um, I, I absolutely love the stories and fables and old wives' tales about Everest. I absolutely love it. I've read copious amounts of people's journeys of... Um, you know, climbing it and scaling it and all the stuff from the, those who originally would try to scale it to even the modern day experience. I've read so many books about it and I absolutely love all the different stories and narratives. And everyone has a different story about it, right? Everyone has their own personal journey. Everyone has even their own literal route up the mountain they chose to go. A whole lot of different stories. And in the, uh, you know, the 70 plus years that people have been summoning Everest, um, everyone's story is super unique. And, and in everyone's own personal accounts, that's why books about Everest will always keep selling because every story is unique. Like your story, it's unique. But there's one massive common denominator that I've noticed over all the years of every person who writes their account of their climbing expedition, they all seem to allude to the same things. They use their own words for it, but they allude to the same thing. It's essentially this. You can do all the preparing that you could possibly think of. And you have to do an awful lot of preparing to do a... a, a climb off Everest, right? I'm, I'm talking years of preparation. Um, you have to raise tens of thousands of dollars to do an exposition to climb it. Um, you have to get your body in shape. You have to get your mind in shape. You have to do so many traveling around the world to practice being acclimatized, to high altitude. Like it is just a big deal. And then to find the margin in your life to go away. It's usually, they say you have to put aside at least three months to climb it, okay? Just because you've got to wait for your window of opportunity for the weather, so, so there's so much preparation that goes into this. People, it's their life's dream. People will save for decades to finally have enough money to try an expedition. So can you imagine for a moment, for 20 years you've been dreaming, saving, building up your equipment, um, getting your body ready, waiting for your kids to finish school so you've actually got margin in your life to do it, whatever it might be. You've been dreaming. You've been, I don't know who I'm talking to right now this morning, because um, <laughs> I've lost you all. You know. um, and then you get there, and then you have this three-month window to climb it. And even there, you can't control the weather. And there's so many stories that people are like, let's go for it. And they sit there every day ready. They sit there every day ready in their little tent at base camp. Ready, 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 ready. Just waiting, just waiting, just waiting, just waiting. And they'll get their moment. Okay, go. And that's why you often see those, those pictures these days, those big traffic jams up Everest. It's because all these people have been waiting there for months. And finally, the window of like three days, the climate comes and they're all going at once. Where they usually try to spread it out. It all happens at once, Right. But the amount of stories I've read of people who planned it, because the goal of climbing Everest isn't just to get to the top. The real job of climbing Everest is what? Not dying, not dying. yes, Chloe. <laughs> that's why I'll never get to climb it. <laughs> One and six. One and six. <laughs> the real goal is getting back down. And so that's the real mission. It's not, the real mission is getting to the top and back down. Very important distinction. Um, the amount of people that have been almost to the top they, were, they could see it. They were so close to the top, they could taste it. And the weather came in, the jet streams came in, and they had to make, moment, had to make the call going, I could probably get there, but I wouldn't be able to get back down. All those years of planning, preparation, um, expectation, and then you're there, you're in the moment, and you have to turn around. And so everyone has their story about that. And some people make the top, and God bless those that do and get back down. But everyone knows you've got to hold your plans lightly when you go there. Because at the end of the day, they all say this, the mountain calls the day. In fact, my favorite preacher, Bear Grylls, he said, (laughs) he said, he said, you never really climb Everest. She lets you climb her. Sorry, you never really conquer Everest. She just lets you climb her. Because she calls the day. But isn't that true of life? We make our plans, we have our preparation, all these things. But just like that, the mountain can call the day. I say that to say this though, don't refuse to let the parts, however, that are out of your control, control your commitment to them. Refuse to let the parts that are out of your control, control your commitment to it. And this is what we see Paul say to His friends in Ephesus is saying goodbye to them because I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. I just know that I'm fully committed to them. I can't control the outcomes. I can't avoid the chaos, but I'm totally committed to that. I'm not going to let the parts that are out of my control control my level of commitment. And so he concludes by saying these final words to them. He says, so be in your (laughs) guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Notice what he says here. Didn't say I spent years controlling you. I spent years teaching you. I spent years warning you. I spent years shepherding you. I was totally committed to you. I gave my life to you. I traveled here at my own expense to visit you. And I came back year after year after year. I've committed to you and I've warned you. I've poured out all my wisdom, everything I've got. I've been so committed to you. Even in fact, I didn't want to come. I'm I'm on my way to Jerusalem, but I'm so committed to you that I made a quick stop here at Ephesus. It took time out. It took money away. But this is how committed I am to you. I'm so committed to your journey for years. But here's my final exhortation to you. The next verse, he says this. Now I commit you to God. I've done my part. I've thrown my commitment in. I've thrown my life into you. I've invested. I've taught. I've shepherded. I've given. Now I commit you to God. And this is where we have to find ourselves when we approach a world that can seem out of our control. You give your best to it. You invest the best of you into it. You're faithful. You're committed. You show up. You plan. And then you go, I commit you to God. Parents, with our kids, we can't control them. We invest into them. We love them. We pour our world into them. And then we commit them to God. We don't let the chaos of the world dictate fear and anxiety about their future. We go, God, I commit my kids to you with our plans. We are orchestrated, we're budgeted, we do what we can. And then I go, God, I commit it to you. We can trust our plans and our people to God because God is committed to us. And my encouragement to you as we approach this year and the bold new world that we're in right now that to be honest has always been out of control for you and I I want us to practice trusting our plans and our people not to our own control but trusting it to God and we can do that confidently because we know that our heavenly father is committed to us and he loves you and he's for you and we're double-downing on this this year. We're going to be teaching on this, so we're going to be going hard on this this year because this is something new for us as a generation. We haven't experienced things like this before and we cannot let the narrative of fear, the narrative from media, the narrative from culture set our expectation for our life, set the tone of our commitment, set our passion, set our vision for our future. We must get the tone of our life from our Heavenly Father's commitment to us. And He's committed to you. Rain, hail shine, lockdown, virus, you name it. So why don't we close this morning? Whatever you have in your life, your responsibilities, the things you're committed to, why don't we lift them to God together today? If you're watching along online today, I want you to be joining here. Maybe you're someone that's new to church. Maybe this could be the first time you've ever prayed. If you've got things you're fearful about, things that you've kind of had your grip on tightly, today we're gonna loosen our grip just for a little bit. We're gonna let go of fear, let go of control, and commit our lives to our heavenly father god we thank you for us we thank you you love us and we thank you you're not indifferent to our story and for every story represented here in the room and those watching online we give you our plans we commit to you the people that are important to us our future and we're trusting you god with them and help us with the areas that are within our reach of influence. Help us to not be people that lean to worry and control and to fear. Help us to be people that would trust. I specifically pray for those here this morning who maybe have never trusted you with their lives. I pray today, Holy Spirit, you would help us all to put our trust in you. And that we'd be able to live every day of our lives knowing that we follow a God who's totally committed to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.